and what is up podcast people and soundtrack geniuses around the world you are listening to the soundcast the official podcast of tracksounds.com i'm your host christopher coleman and on the soundcast we talk all things film tv and video game music related and this is episode 62 and on episode 62 we're going to be talking about man of steel on the line with me today are two special guests Alex Billington, who's the founder, president, and owner of a great movie website. You probably all know it, firstshowing.net. Alex has been on a couple times before. Alex, welcome back to the Soundcast. Thanks. Always happy to be on. We always love having you on. And our other special guest today is Tim Burden, who is a film music specialist of the government. No, he's a film music specialist. He's a he's a he's a voice talent and he hosts Movie Magic and QTV's Movie Minute, which I just saw the other day where he talked about Man of Steel, hence my reaching out to him. Tim Burden, welcome to the Soundcast. Hey Chris, thank you very much. Good to be here. Thanks for asking. Absolutely, and thanks for coming on a Father's Day. I know you have uh, kids. Now, I'm assuming I don't. I don't know how International Father's Day is, but they celebrate Father's Day in the UK, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a big conglomerate of uh, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I think any but, country that looks to make money celebrates certain holidays, regardless of their origin or what they mean or anything. I think Mother's Day is um, a few weeks apart. I think, but Father's Day for some reason is more international. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I wonder why that would be. Oh, well. I'm, not, I'm not too sure. As long as they recognize you fathers, um, that's, <laughs> that's all that matters. And speaking Indeed. of which, um, I want to welcome everyone in the live stream that's going on right now. Included uh, in, the, in that viewership is my own father, uh, who I asked to just come on and, and listen as I was chatting with him. For, uh, because it's Father's Day and we're talking about our very topic of the day, Man of Steel. And um, he said, yeah, I want to uh, I want to uh, have a listen. So welcome to my own dad as well in uh, in our in our live stream chat room. Hello, um, Mr. Cole. The, yeah, that's right. Welcome him. I think he's under he's not going to get away with being undercover. Um, I think he's under <laughs> the thing of Iceman, if I'm not. He's usually Iceman when he does games or whatever. So I think that's him. So say hi to Iceman. That's my dad. And he's in California. So uh, that's that's uh, some awesomeness for for me today. Um, you'll notice that there are a whole bunch of folks not on the line, and that is the rest of the Track Sounds uh, team um, for various reasons. A couple uh, have not seen Man of Steel yet because it hasn't premiered in the UK yet. Um, so I'm curious, Tim, you've seen it, right? Yes, well, it it was released um, on the 14th, so Friday past. Oh, it was. It was, um, but then the some of the media and press people got to see it on Monday, which was, I believe, uh, and then yes, two days before the actual European premiere, which was there, it was then in London on the Wednesday. So it's kind of rolling out. I thought it was actually a worldwide release, but yeah, I've been told by other people that it's not out until I think next week or the week. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, because they hadn't seen it yet, and um, so uh, probably wouldn't be the best thing for them to be on this particular one, especially if they don't want to be spoiled. Um, and then some just unavailable for Father's Day, all kinds of things. So it's just us, and but I'm looking forward to it because I, I think, I know with Alex, and I think with you, Tim, that our opinions on The Man of Steel are, are uh, varied, shall we say. Um, 
But before we dive into the to the movie, we're going to talk about the movie for a good bit, and that's all going to be leading up to our discussion of Hans Zimmer's original score, of course. But the movie has been so polarizing, and I think does shape our opinion of the score itself that it's it's worth um, some time. Uh, I think today. So um, we're going to get into that in just one second. Before we do, though, um, we always want to let you guys know how to contact us. We've been getting some, let me just say this, we've been getting some great comments of late, especially in iTunes. Um, so if you're not subscribed to the to the Soundcast, you can do so on iTunes, also on Stitcher Radio. Uh, we also have a feed on our site, tracksounds.com. Um, we do love the feedback. I got a couple really great emails recently. Um, so, as I said, some great comments. I hadn't. I don't go to iTunes all that often, uh, but I saw four or five, I think, new ones or uh, some really complimentary things to say. Uh, so I appreciate that. We've gotten some good email feedback where some are just who are not. Um, they like the show, but we're frustrated with <laughs> some of our opinions, which... I'm frustrated with some of our opinions, so I imagine our listeners are too. Uh, but that's what makes it fun. And we love hearing from you. And so I wanted to let you know how you can contact us. Uh, the first way is by email, soundcast at tracksounds.com. Uh, there has been a change. Our voicemail number uh, is no longer in service. And so we've moved to something else. And we're using SpeakPipe for that. And you'll find if you're looking, if you're in our live uh, stream right now you probably see a thing that says sound uh, send voicemail on the side of the of the of your browser window you can leave us a voicemail really easy through that means you'll also find that same send voicemail on our soundcast page so many easy ways uh to leave us a voicemail easier ways than actually having that voicemail number so we've retired the voicemail number and we've signed on with SpeakPipe for that and we hope you make use of that and, we'll, and if you say something um doesn't have to be a pro or a con, whatever we say, an agreement or disagreement. As long as it's said well and it's recorded fairly well, we may include it in one of our future episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter at TrackSounds. We're on Facebook slash TrackSounds there. We're even, on, we're even on Google+. I'm really becoming a fan of Google+. Alex or Tim, do you guys use that at all? Occasionally, not often. Yeah? Tim? It's, uh, I don't know. Not, not a huge amount. I mean, I've... I've been told by other people that apparently it's it's expanding and booming, but uh, I just find it really kind of I don't know clanging or or in your face or not quite as uh, user friendly as some of the really? other ones. That's interesting. This could be the first of many disagreements. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, since they've updated, I really like the new design. I feel like the discussion there is a little bit uh, more civil. I guess is one way to put it. Um, there's just not this. This doesn't have the reach. The people aren't there. So I'm trying to get people there because I, I really enjoy. I'm almost quit Facebook altogether because it's just it's just overload. Um, so we're on tracks. Uh, we're on Google Plus as well. If you want to find us, just go to Google Plus and search for Track Sounds. And we have a community site there as well. Um, so that's how you can contact us. We love hearing from you, as I've mentioned. And enough of that. Let's move ourselves along to the Man of Steel.
guys. Here we go. Before we talk about this uh, incarnation of the Superman story, I just wanted to get a little bit of background from both of you of, of, of what your experience with the, the Superman franchise um, has been until the release of Man of Steel. Were you into the comics, TV? Did you like the Donner, did you see and like the Donner films? Um, Alex, what about you? Uh, I, I'm not well versed in Superman in the way that I should be <laughs> as a movie geek, but um, I, I went into Superman Returns like as my sort of, not first experience, but kind of like really getting into Superman kind of thing. And then after that, I was reading a lot of comics and just sort of getting into it, but I'm not, the biggest Superman fan. I've seen the Donner Supermans one and two at least, and um, I like. I'm not. I, I sort of represent this more movie fan rather than Superman fan side of this. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's my background. Is that I'm I'm not as connected to it, but I will say I I have grown to appreciate him, and that I've sort of been waiting for like a, a Superman that my friends have described to me, like the ultimate sort of like the best superhero ever and that's why he is so great and you know but also lives up to his powers and why he uses them and what he uses them for so that's my mm. back okay all right tim what about you well for me it was totally the richard donner films yeah i mean as a kid i saw them very young um and then i mean i appreciated them more i think i remember buying an old vhs it was the first ever widescreen release of Superman the movie, and it was like seeing it for the first time because I'd been used to seeing, you know, the horrible TV format, pan and scan, and it was just like ridiculously naff because, you know, all those fake pans everywhere. Right. And, and it just it showed the film in such a, a beautiful light because, I mean, one of the biggest advantage, uh, one of the biggest attributes to Superman the movie is the photography of Jeffrey Onsworth and that whole Krypton sequence, you know, 15 yeah. minutes at the start, it just looks beautiful. And yeah. you know, all the special costumes they wore, and then all the Smallville scenes, this kind of Tom Sawyer type approach, uh, those beautiful, lovely, big Luma Crane sweeping shots, you know, whenever he's leaving home. Uh, that's what I love about Richard Donner's vision. Uh, I think Tom Mankiewicz has a lot to do with that as well, you know. And, yeah. Um, obviously, Christopher Reeve, so many. So that's, that's what I really, I think, yeah, that's what I really would certainly appreciate whenever I think of Superman, definitely. Okay. Well, yeah, you, you, very similar to me. Um, I, I knew, obviously knew who Superman was as a kid. Uh, wasn't a real big comic book collector reader. I had a few, but nothing of any real consequence. Um, and it was my dad who, as I said, is in the, is in the uh, chat room right now. Uh, he took me to see in 1978, he took me to see Superman. Um, and it, it wasn't quite the, uh, epiphany that Star Wars was the year before, but it was pretty close, and I was pretty freaking bowled over by it, and it and it definitely had an impact on me as a kid. I mean, you know, I, I certainly tried to fly to school the next you know week or so every day as much as I could muster, and of course the music of John Williams. You know, at at that age, I don't know if I knew that it was the same composer, but I knew that I I, I liked the music a lot. Um, and I knew that it was impacting me, and the, that imagery, especially the, it just felt the size of it felt. It just felt so huge. Um, uh, that that film and, and the music, of course, does a lot to help convey the, that hugeness. Um, so I'm right there with you on that, in that it was such an impactful and was the standard uh, of all super 
hero films for a long time. I guess until maybe Batman rolled around in, was it 89? 89, yeah. yeah. No, you're totally right, that's right. Because, I mean, that nothing really equaled the, the level of quality that first film. Um, I, mean, I know people rave about Superman 2, never a massive fan of it. It's all right, but the, the yeah. tone for me was a bit too kind of slapstick. But yeah. the, the first one, I mean, some would say maybe it takes itself too seriously, but I think it almost... It adds to the whole experience having that. Uh, I mean, you're right about the the opening titles. But I mean, the whole drama of that after the titles finish, um, swooping at you, and then you've got the planet Krypton. You know, the trumpet leads us in, and, and we just know that we're about to experience something very special. It's so beautifully over the top. But that that's you know, you wouldn't really get that in a sense. I mean, of course, we'll talk about the new one <laughs> soon, right. but. You wouldn't really see that these days, would you? Like that's that's a two-minute cue, you know, the Planet Krypton cue. Yeah. Just builds and builds and builds, and you know, it's a big dome, and then it's just, I mean, incredible. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you on that. Um, I think we'll we'll be referring back to the Donner films quite a bit during this conversation. Um, so let me just move to the last time we saw Superman on the big screen was in 2006 with Brian Singer's. Uh, Superman Returns, which I I saw it in the, in the theater and I liked it. I came out entertained and felt like, wow, you know, okay, that's that's a that's done pretty well in in the Donner verse. Um, as be, I mean, the, <laughs> that that being able to connect, make that connection over that amount of time, I thought was was a was a pretty difficult task, and yet he pulled it off. I thought not perfect by far, but certainly. Um, an acceptable installment into that world. Um, and, and I thought John Ottman did a, a fairly good job of, of, of being honorable to John Williams' work, but yet injecting his own uh, personality into it as well. Um, Alex, what did you think of Superman Returns? I, I pretty much agree with what you're saying. That like I first when I went in, I enjoyed it, and I remember coming out being like, "Oh, it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of great epic action. Like he lifts up a freaking island, and there's a lot of things <laughs> happening." And and yeah, it was it was great. But then for whatever reason, I started to agree with all the critics over years, and now I think about it, and I'm like, I'm like, that's what I'm thinking. Like he lifts an island, like, and then he gets beat up on this like obviously fake set of Krypton pieces of plastic and it's just I don't know like over time I've come to not be so fond of it but yeah. I like you I remember really enjoying it for just an entertainment level and I think it's because of Brian Singer like I have a soft spot for the way he directs movies but yeah. um I yeah I, I I thought it was okay and I'm, I'm nowadays I can't defend it much especially after Man of Steel but <laughs> <laughs> okay Tim what about you Superman Returns Superman Returns, yeah, it's. Um, it, I think it, it was it was great fun. Certainly, I think experiencing some of, as you say, some of what we remembered from Richard Donner, because um, yeah, he, he remained true to that kind of. What, what was what was your your word Donnerverse? I like that. Yeah, word. Donnerverse. Yeah. Donnerverse. <laughs> but um, I think the the Brandon Ralph connection. He just seemed slightly. And no wooden, and uh, I mean, actually, for me, I think one of the best bits of Superman Returns was Kevin Spacey. I thought he did Lex Luthor really well, hmm. and yeah, I quite like the, the the Lex Luthor theme that John Ottman wrote. You know, that was one of the highlights actually in the score because um, John Ottman's 
terrific, lovely guy and everything, but you can't help but feel, why on earth would you mess with the love theme? He changed the, the you know, the oh. dynamics of it, and it, it was a bit, it was a bit weird because you, you expect the love theme to go how it should, but then he, you know, a few measures. Yeah, he does change. tweak it. He does. Yeah, which was and, uh, maybe it's a bit. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's being too pernickety, but uh, you know, he, he can do what he wants. He, he fine, it's cool, but uh, but there were, I mean, he did some good new stuff in it. I thought, and um, yeah. Whenever Superman's running across the, the wheat fields, there's a really exciting cue. I forget what it's called. Um, oh, it's, I, yeah. I, know the, I know the piece. Yeah, do you remember the one? It's, 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 a, it's a very nice cue. Yeah. And that was a kind of a, almost a, a taste of what uh, Williams had written for the Smallville scenes. So I think that was a nice kind of nod of the hat there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and yeah, I know I know the, the, the change you're talking about with the, with the love theme. Um, our, our old friend... Uh, Eric uh, brings that that up all the time whenever <laughs> Superman returns uh, comes <laughs> that up. That surprise me. Eric he, and I are so alike. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about Eric from uh, Cinematic Sound Radio. Uh, yeah, he 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 likes to bring that particular point up. And you know, yeah, it is a change. And you know, I just rewatched the film uh, Superman Returns last night on HD DVD, by the way. And um, around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hope I'm hoping the Xbox One brings back the HD DVD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or or I'm not going to be able to watch these films uh, on that format for very much longer. Um, Do you still have HD DVD? Yeah, I got the I have the Xbox 360 external um, thing, and it still works. Alex, do you have it? I I sadly will admit that I still have it. Yeah. Why, have have to, why is it sadly? I mean, hey. <laughs> Because like it's lost. <laughs> I know, but it, it I I bought for HD DVD at the beginning, and I was all for it, and I bought I a bunch too. of them, and then it lost, and then I'm like, oh my but god, dude, now I got to transfer them all over. In in twenty <laughs> in twenty years, you're gonna be so cool when you show people your collection of HD DVDs. Well, now I have like five of them, and then I, I oh, you gave them away. I oh, I have I have well, I all of mine. Yeah, I, I transferred a lot of them to Blu-ray. Oh no no no! You gotta keep them, man. It's like a laser disc. It's just like, look at this. I'm hardcore. You <laughs> really? Know? It's just like, well, yeah, better. It will be. It will be. Not now. Now it's like <laughs> what? But in twenty, thirty years, you'll be the coolest person on the planet. Um, I have like fifteen. Now, there's no way I would give those away now. Um, I love them anyway. Um, so yeah, I rewatched it, and you know, I came out. I was like, I still like this movie. I like Brandon Routh. I think he's a very good Christopher Reeve ish type of person um i, I think he fit the, the mold that christopher reeve kind of carved out and uh, maybe maybe well yeah uh, on the clark kent side definitely on the superman side pretty much i think he fills the shoes um so i enjoy that movie and i enjoy john ottman's score and i get chills at certain points when i listen to it even last night and um and i can't say that for others uh <laughs> which we'll talk about in a minute. But, but I don't uh, know, do you both agree that I don't? Know, I mean, the, the end of Superman Returns. What really lets it down for me, and it's such a crucial scene because it's, you know you want to leave the cinema feeling good. But it's that really crappy CGI shot at the end. And it's so obviously not Brandon Routh. Oh, <laughs> well. Do you remember? Yeah. Uh, what is it when he's when he's when he? Oh, when he's standing in the room. But whenever he's no, the film ends with you know, he looks at the camera and stuff, and uh, you know that you know they were trying and to do a homage. And he's flying. The, the very the very end of it, he's flying at the end. Yeah. So it's so obviously not you know it's all it's computerized. And it just looks really horribly fake. And it, uh, it, I, wow. I thought I don't know maybe 
space. Yeah, I think we kind of know that it's not really him flying in space. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know, but so, so some of the other scenes, you can see it's actually, you know, it's him, but it's because the face is computerized. It's not even, they're not even yeah. trying to make it. Well, it's seven years ago. Okay. Right. So that's, you know, we got to give him a little bit of room, wiggle room. Not a lot, but some. I mean, for me, I can I don't care if it looks all that fake in a second or two here or there. If the overall presentation is good, um, that I can forgive those kinds of moments. But that the moment you're talking about, I don't know why, but it, I never noticed it or never took me out of the film for some reason. I don't know. Now I'm going to um, think about it when I rewatch it. Right? When it gets to be like, oh, I know exactly now you won't be able about. to not see it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, I don't want to ruin it for people. Sorry, I wasn't here. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's, if I had known now. by now. <laughs> uh, um, so, well, that's what, that was our last taste, other than Smallville. Um, and I just thought about this today. Uh, I'd never watched one single episode of Smallville. And I'm wondering how much impact that has had on um, the the viewership for Man of Steel. It, it did either of you watch Smallville at all? No. I did. Yes. I actually, yes. I have to admit, um, my wife and I were hooked for years. Um, okay. It went. It went a bit ropey. Season four or five, and then it picked up again in season six and seven, I think. And then it went down again in season eight. I mean, you know, that's just being maybe hypercritical again. But there are some really good. Um, yeah. There's some. I mean, if if you like the whole kind of concept of Superman. And if, certainly if you like the Smallville scenes, which I think the, the creators, from what I recall, the creators of, of Smallville were, were very, you know, were very keen on the Smallville scenes in the Superman Donna films, then, yeah. uh, film, then that was, I think, really what was, was the drawing thing, drawing factor to, to putting some of those earlier Superman years in this succinct kind of TV show. And yeah, there's some quite good moments. I mean, I think... I do remember some of the, the early episodes, it was repetitive because like, all Martha Kent did was bake muffins. And, <laughs> you know, and then As all good mothers should. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, you'd have the same kind of similar thing of one of Clark's school friends always um, just having the similar kind of problem. Oh, they've come in, in touch with Krypton, so oh God, something's wrong. So yeah, it became a bit, it became a bit repetitive, but there were some really good episodes and... Um, the guy who played Lex Luthor, Michael, uh, what was his name? Mm, I know his face, but not his name. Uh, anyway, but he, he was really good, actually. And I think the dynamic between him and Clark, uh, you know, the fact that they were actually really close friends as, as uh, younger men, I think that worked really well. Hmm. Okay. Well, when we get more into the movie of Manicel, I'll, I'll be, well, we can use that as our transition, actually. Um, uh, so let's do that. Let's move into to Man of Steel now, the movie, and talk about that. And just so everyone in the chat room knows and everyone listening to this podcast, we will be getting spoilery right off the bat. Man of Steel, okay, it's, uh, it was released midnight, Thursday night, uh, I was among them. Um, Alex, you've seen it multiple times, when was the first time you saw it? Um, 
Oh man, a couple of weeks ago, like three or four weeks ago, actually, I saw so it very been... early. I was the, like one of the very first times they showed it to anyone in in the Warner Brothers screening room in New York City. Okay, so you've been biting your tongue for a long time. Yeah, oh, you have to sign <laughs> one of those special embargo, did you? I was I was under embargo for like two weeks. I didn't sign anything, but I was just like, I don't want to ruin anything. So I <laughs> if you want to see the next one early, you better not say anything, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, yes. And Tim, you saw it. Uh, at a, at a early screening too, uh, yes, last Monday the tenth. Okay, well, let me get your guys' general reactions. Tim, I'll start with you and, and just work in there. Do you think that uh, having watched Smallville had any impact on your on how you felt about uh, Man of Steel? Um, I, well, to be honest, until you brought it up, I'd never really thought about it. So it's interesting. It's an interesting parallel. Um, Maybe with its use, maybe its use of kind of slightly hipper characters, maybe you could say, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. obviously seeing a different Martha and Jonathan Kent, maybe, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't didn't dawn on me to be honest with you. No, it just it stands. Man of Steel stands really as its own entity. Okay, and so what's your what was your general reaction to to the film? The well, I, I really, I mean, I did. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it, it is one of those films where it's just it doesn't let up, and, it, and it's this kind of relentless pace. Um, I do have to agree. I think maybe the end was a bit exhausting, and um, I mean, I have said that a couple of times, and I know other people have said this. It maybe was a bit. You know, I love melodrama, all that. I mean, you know, Shakespeare, and big fan of Kenneth Banner, and. And all of his movies. I mean, melodrama is, is terrific, um, but I think maybe the melodrama was was bordering into, oh, good God, let's you know, let's kind of let's slow it down a bit here. How many more um, explosions does it have to be? Uh, <laughs> so, so I mean, that that's being. I think that's that's an important point maybe to, to raise. But right. having said that, as a friend of mine actually. Um, Stephen Walston, he actually mentioned it on Facebook recently. There's a, a kind of trend. It's not just exclusive to Man of Steel. Like Avengers Assemble, I remember thinking the end was a bit, I mean, goodness sake, exhausting. It kind of goes mm. on and on and on. And, and then someone else said Star Trek in the Darkness was a bit similar. Maybe mm-hmm. it is just this trend. But Man of Steel for me, I, I think, yeah, I, mean, I, I really think it, it breathes life into the whole thing. Um, I could really connect to the 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 story, the characters, and visually, I, I like what Zack Snyder's done. I, hmm. I do. I mean, I think he's really he's given it a bit of a not too glossy, but given it a, a suitable gloss to to appeal to this, you know, I suppose to a new generation, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this could be, I suppose, a comparison to what people. Th- experience in 1978 you know mm-hmm mm-hmm okay different Alex that's yeah that's like it's chills different. with that <laughs> no I mean just oh. like it even can make that's a good point your connection about how people are feeling back then with this new version but anyway sorry yeah no go ahead Alex what, what was your general reaction yeah. the first time you saw the very it? first time I saw it I, I, I liked it a lot no I thought it was awesome um I didn't I can't say I thought it was flawless which is what everyone wants to know you know like how how awesome is it and Mm -hmm. 
I, I remember thinking like I liked a lot of it, but almost immediately I, like things would happen in it and I would forget what that last scene was and already want to be like, hey, I want to go back and look at it again, which is kind of what was being said about just how, how relentless that pace is and how much you're just in it and just like following along for this really long movie. Like it's a really long movie that takes a lot time to get through a lot of happening i mean you're like 30 minutes on krypton in the beginning but um overall i really enjoyed it by the end i was just really refreshed that we have this kind of new superman to um see continue mm-hmm. like at the end of uh i hate to make this comparison but i'm going to do it but the end of batman begins you feel like you've got this awesome batman who you can't wait for the next two movies and you know this was what 2004 when this came out i think, I think and so. and yeah we it's just like the feeling of potential that you had with this character that you've now found this new like passion for because he's presented in such a good way that's how i felt by the end of this i'm like yes hmm. we've got a great reestablishment, reintroduction like i wish we could already see the sequel but at least this one's good and i feel really satisfied with the way they brought him back mm. okay interesting uh, ALV a- a- Brown in the chat room just said, this is the ADHD version of the story, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> of, the, of the Superman story? Of the Superman story. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I mean, that's like a whole thing I want to talk about is the, the like flashback structure because the yes, very first point. thing, yeah. like you, the first thing you see is when you, the first Clark Kent you see is an old Clark Kent. And when I first saw that, the very first time I saw it, I'm like, wait, He's already this old, and he's not Superman. He's just mm-hmm. kind of, like, hidden. And then so you, you're, like, thrown into it in that way, and then you sort of, like, are constantly catching up with what's going on with the story, which I like, mm-hmm. though. I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let me respond to a couple of things you said. Uh, and my general reaction, um, uh, it, it, which I don't think it'll be hard for anyone to guess, but in case you don't know, um, you know, I, like I said, I saw it, paid good money, stayed up till midnight, <laughs> on Thursday night to see this. So obviously I had, I was thinking positively going in. I was excited to see it. Um, given, even despite my love for what had come before it, I was open, hey, let's see what they've got. You know, Nolan's involved, I've got hope. Um, and I have to say by a third to a halfway through the film, I wanted to leave. And there's very few films that, I felt that way about in my life, even really bad ones. I mean, you just know they're bad. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a bad movie, and all right, we'll deal with it. But I was bored, and I was, um, I, I, I felt no connection to what was going on, and, um, and I just suffered through the rest. I watched the whole thing, and I suffered through the rest. And even you know, yeah, the, there's not a lot of action in the beginning, which is fine, other than the Krypton stuff. Um, but when the action started, oh man, it was like, we're going to make up for it now, people. Uh, you may not have gotten action in the first half of this film. We are going to pack three movies worth into the next half of this movie. And it was just relentless, as you said, Tim. And most, the worst part of all that is I like good action. And, and, and I guess the action was good. But the problem is I don't care about anybody. So you, so I feel nothing. I'm just watching things fly around and crash and explode and crush and fall and punch and jump and kick. And I, but I'm like, who, I really, I know who they are by their names, but I don't care about any of you. And if you, and for me, if that's not there, then it doesn't matter how good the effects are. 
nothing else matters. It's just now just watching a bunch of fancy stuff happening on the screen. And that's why I wanted that's why I wanted to leave. It's just like I don't care about any of these people and they haven't there was no sense of drama built up in this movie for me, people. None. And and let me just give you one example. Well, yeah, let me give you the one. The four, this is where I started to feel concerned. Now, again, we're in spoiler ter- territory, everyone, so here we go. When, when he goes into, I guess, their version of the Fortress of Solitude is a spaceship um, and lumbers around in there for a few minutes while Lois Lane fights this... <laughs> this robot thing and he dons the the his 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 superman suit for the first time it was no drama at all he just kind of saunters out <laughs> and is like i'm wearing the suit now and i'm like wait a minute i'm like this is this is the way you're going to reveal superman superman not some side b character superhero but superman supposedly the ultimate superhero it was so flat and i was like is there something going to happen to spice this up? Nope. He saunters out onto the snow, and then he begins to try to learn how to fly. It was so boring. It was so flat. There was no emotional nothing. And I hate to compare it to the Donner, but it, and I wasn't doing that while I watched the film, but later as I thought about it, that whole buildup takes place over like an hour because it's told chronologically, which I think is a better way to tell the story. I understand why they didn't hear because it's just doing the same thing over again. But it didn't work. The way they cut this thing together did not work. Um, I just, there's no sense of dramatic tension built up for me. And so I'll, I'll stop on that one. Um, just to say that kind of encapsulates my general reaction to the film. Um, it was a lot of visual candy that was spliced together and it did not, um, it didn't come together in a final package that was satisfying at all. How's that? well yeah well you see i'm glad alex brought up the fact of the actual the flashback structure earlier yes because that's a structure i i really enjoyed as part of this too i I thought those sequences really really added to it you know the certainly the the bit with the tornado and and jonathan kent um you know all, all these kind of things which you can connect to some of his feelings but I mean, the Fortress Solitude. I thought that was a really good scene, and I, I thought it was played well. And I think it was a ship. <laughs> it was a spaceship. Well, Chris, I, are I, you? I thought... it... Sorry, Alex. Go ahead, Alex. No, I was just gonna say, Chris, are you are you like really attached to some sort of Superman? Like this is his origin from the comics that you need to see, and then if it is changed to such a degree that it just won't work for you, or is it like? It just didn't work in this presentation for it. It just was so off base and so far from it. That's my question. Well, yeah, I mean, there's. I guess there's certain things that I guess I feel more strongly about than others. The Fortress of Solitude is a pretty big deal. Now, maybe this isn't the Fortress of Solitude. I mean, they didn't outright say it was or wasn't. Maybe that comes later. I don't know. But that's what I took it. I mean, it's too many commonalities of it being in the Arctic, in the ice, um, and yeah. that's where, you know, so I'm assuming that's what that was supposed to be. But is, so, yeah. so yeah, so some things, no, I mean, if you want to tinker around with Krypton, I mean, I don't like how they tinkered around with Krypton either, but <laughs> if you want to, okay, fine, but do a good job of it. I mean, Krypton to me should not look like John Carter of Mars or Avatar. Whoa, I mean, whoa, whoa. I, it looked better than that. 
Well, I'm talking about the style. It's this organic yeah, yeah. thing. We got to have everything look organic and and round. And when I think about Krypton from the from '78, it was just this ice planet, and it was minimal, but it felt it just felt even right now it feels more sophisticated than what we saw there. Now, not more dynamic and all of that, but you didn't have dragons flying around and. And pea pods with babies in it. I'm just like, what is it? <laughs> it's just a whole different vibe. And I, so yeah, personally, I don't like the way they tinkered with that. But the Fortress of Solitude is another thing. It's the Fortress of Solitude, not the spaceship of nothing. I mean, it was but just. It wasn't it was, nothing though, because there was some clever. I, I thought the hieroglyphic kind of idea was good, and the, the, the graphics moving around everywhere. Um, I thought. I mean, let, let's credit Hans straight away if that's okay. I thought he really delivered some really effective music in that scene. I mean, it's beautiful solo cello, and it's very ethereal. Um, yeah. You know, and it wasn't. If you remember, looking back to Donna's and and you know John Williams, it was it was quite kind of a lot of keyboards at that stage. But you know, he uh, he certainly gave it a very very different, almost elegant voice. I thought I thought Hans really did well for that scene. Uh, for me, I, I think it was one of the most striking things. Hmm. Interesting. That see, that's really interesting to me, um, because that it 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 felt like they made big things small, and that was one of them. Where where traditionally the Fortress of Solitude's a big deal, and it felt a lot. I mean, physically it was a lot smaller. It's a spaceship, right? And he finds a suit and he walks out and he's Superman, and it it just felt moments that should have been like the big some of the biggest moments of the film were very, very small at to, in, comparatively speaking. And that really kind of, that was my first warning sign that, uh Oh, this is, this is, I mean, yeah, of course it's going to be different, but I didn't expect that. And that's where I started to get on edge a little bit. See, I'll, I'll agree with you about the, the costume moment. I was a little bit like, this is his suit and there's no, there's nothing to it, but I like the rest of it because I think Zach, and Goyer and everyone involved, Nolan specifically too, they were trying to reinvent it with the notion of like completely realistic. And I guess that's going off of like Dark Knight and so many successful yes. movies recently that had that feel. But just like the notion of if if he were if this kind of alien being were real and came to our planet, but then they but then you have to like extend that to every degree of like, oh, yes. where what would his real home planet be like? And then how would they establish their expanse across the galaxy? And then, oh, there's this ship that turns out that it's a scout ship that's stuck in the ice and that you can put his father on the little chip and put it. It's like there's all these pieces that, that in, an, yeah. in an attempt to make it real, you have to think of like every last little detail and how it plays out and how it could be real in our you know physical world on Earth. But in that sense, he still yeah. he makes it. Like and they also sort of twist things and they sort of say, okay, we know this the fantastical Superman that Donner created, but there's also like the cool human and emotional parts of it that we get to see instead, like the flashback moments with Pocket and all those little pieces. I don't know. I like seeing those because they presented a more real character that you see, like like learning about who Superman is becoming versus just yeah, he yeah. is Superman. I, I mean, I I agree with you that that was an interesting. Um, angle to take and the, and the story that they want, were wanting to tell because um, there is a big gap uh, even in Donner's um, depiction uh, I, I, 
it wasn't they didn't tell it as interestingly as I think that they could have, and partly because of the editing style. I, I would have preferred I prefer origin stories to be told linear, linearly, um, if at all possible. And I know why they couldn't do that here, but it, it that because you're jumping back and forth. The biggest problem with that is, as I've already mentioned, is your development of characters. You're jumping from this group to this group and back to this, and no one's really getting much depth to them, uh, other than Superman himself, because he's going to be in all of those jumps in time. So you're, you're you're building up some affinity and relationship with him, but no one else to any strong degree, in my well, opinion. Who else did you really want that relationship from? Besides Lois Lane, obviously. Well, yeah, I mean Lois. I mean, I mean, well, it's it's the main guys you expect to get some things on. Um, uh, Lois got, I guess, enough. I don't think I, I thought she was okay, but right. the characters that they then would spend a significant amount of time on, specifically Perry White and whoever in the people in the people at the Daily Planet. When they're in peril, I don't care. I'm like, why are you even showing me this girl trapped under the building? You have not given her any time in this movie. There's no reason for you to be spotlighting these people <laughs> because we don't know them. And so why should we care about them? Now, maybe there were scenes edited out. They should not have edited them out if they're going to leave that in there. Because the whole point of that is, oh, no, the, the city's falling apart. The building is going to crush them. I'm like, well... I, I hope it doesn't, but if it does, there's no big loss because I don't know who these people oh, are. But that's exactly why they show them is to make you feel that there are real people in these buildings, and that unfortunately Four later when he 5, knocks over buildings, yeah, he, like he knocks over a hundred more buildings later. But I mean, that's a whole nother issue. But just the <laughs> just, just the people it. that we're supposed to connect to, we don't, and that's where the difference between this and Batman comes. And, and I'm addressing what you were saying earlier. That idea works for works for batman um making him just like this real person because that's all he is superman is a alien this is a comic book movie it is not hey. it's not smallville it's not it's not, it's it's a comic book movie and this movie is so serious they, they want it to be so real you can do that with batman to a much easier it's much easier because it still is a guy with gadgets right this is a guy who's an alien who can fly. No matter how real you try to make it, it ain't real. And it's not, it will never be real. And, and, and trying to make it, oh, have so much weight and gravitas to it. How can you, how can you, how can that exist in this, in this movie? I don't, it didn't for me. It's like, I don't connect to that because it's Superman. It's a, it's a, it's a super alien. Hey, but he doesn't need to be the goofy dude all the time. He, he's, what goofy he's become as that. Well, he becomes like the goofy Clark Kent from the Donner movies. He kind of becomes that by the end. But throughout this, he's like moping the whole time in trying exactly. to discover who he is. But that's because he's such like if if that if you had that weight on your shoulders of I am Superman or I am this man who I don't know where I'm from. I was raised in Kansas, but I have these powers that no one else has. And then you know, you know, as we find out through the flashbacks that you're from another planet, whatever, you wouldn't feel like an outcast, and you wouldn't be made Probably. fun of. I oh, mean, no, that's the I whole don't. point. That's why they're showing that is to make you feel like there's this huge weight of discovery on this person who is is an outcast on our planet who was but was raised there, and all of a sudden finds out he he's different than everyone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, that's true. That is, I I can appreciate that story being told i don't think it's told very effectively to where i like feel for him i don't feel for him 
But did you know, something... whenever he was 13 years old, you know, the, the scene whenever he's being beaten up um, and his father's, you know, working on the car in the garage, I thought that scene was really played well, I mean, you know, just in tone and also in performance. And he must have cared. You know, whenever he, there's a nice brief shot of him, like, breaking the, the metal uh, pole of the fence or something, uh, you know, which nobody saw. Oh, because he, he was gripping it, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the little touches like that. I mean, I, I, I thought all that was really played well. I felt nothing. No? I didn't. I really didn't. I didn't <laughs> feel any. I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to hate. I'm just telling you this was my experience in watching the film. Right. I was like, oh, okay, poor kid. Um, and then it jumps to, who knows what, back to the back to the present, you know. And so if there was going to be any lingering emotion or some time to build that, they cut away to, you know, the Fortress of Spaceship-tude, you know, or something. I don't know what they cut to after that. But you know what I mean? It, you don't get, there's no time to let this stuff work out over a long over a long period of time because they've cut to something else um that's i think has a lot to do so with it's not, but do, but do, you, do you like movies with flashback structure I, sure yeah I, if it's done well i love it okay all right if there's some if you're building up some continuity with characters and whatnot but there are so many different groups of people we are shifting back and forth from um that are more than than snyder whoever his editor was able to handle uh appropriately um in this case um well what do, what do you guys both think of michael shannon as zod i mean i thought he was superb yeah he's on um <laughs> he was uh -huh. okay no? he was, i mean he's I, I think he's a fantastic actor and he usually has more when he plays a crazy man or a bad guy he play he's more reserved you know what i mean he kind of plays that that kind of crazy cool evil that you're like man i, I don't know what this guy's capable of but he was kind of he just kind of let it hang out there you know i mean he was like he he would jump out and yell at you you know <laughs> he would do that kind of a thing too which yeah you know it's it's fine Cause I, I like it. go ahead alex sorry sorry alex go ahead no no i was just gonna say that um he's just he has an odd amount of time spent in that he's He's always there, but then he has like Feyora always doing things for him, and then he like True. gets into a fight and then gets picked up and goes back to his ship for a while, and then he's right. out there. And he's, I mean, but I he I like how menacing he is more so than um uh well I mean I I, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in Star Trek, let's say I liked him more than Cumberbatch in Star Trek, and that I didn't feel like he had the same menace. He didn't feel like he had the same that like he just, I like yeah. Shannon a lot more. I feel like he carried that with him a lot more. Yeah. I think yeah. Toward toward the end, I mean, I, I think he played. You know, whenever he's he's basically admitting, you know, I have no purpose now. Uh, I, I thought that scene was really played well. I have to say. I mean, uh, regarding the Benedict Cumberbatch um, comparison. Uh, Hard to, hard to compare. Benedict, I think, may have the edge slightly because of that charismatic performance. Michael Shannon would be slightly more, I suppose, down would downplay a bit more. I think you know, um, but yeah, interesting point. Though. Yeah. Just yeah, I mean, I like yeah, just how 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 like what a great villain I want to feel both afraid of and also at, like. Like this guy's cool, and I think Shannon pulled that out more than. Hmm. I I didn't feel I wasn't a I didn't have like I wasn't intimidated by him. Um, I don't know why. 
I just, I, I really wasn't. I knew he was the bad guy. I'm like, okay, I'm not supposed to like him, so I guess I don't. But I didn't, I don't know. I, I, I expected him to play it a, a little more sinisterly. But, you know, that thing at the end that you mentioned, Tim, to me that kind of, I mean, I felt for him in a way, but then that kind of undercut the whole thing. It's like, he's not a bad guy. He's just doing what he was bred to do. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, well, yeah, how can you really be mad at the guy? He's just trying to preserve his people. You know, and now, and now, um, Superman's taking that away from him. So he has, you know, so he, is now he a sympathetic character? Um, in the last, in his last five minutes on screen, it's, it's, so it was kind of like, oh, okay, so everyone's just programmed. So yeah, you really can't hold that against them, right? Is that what is that what is that what I'm supposed to take away from that? Well, I, th I think it's an important dynamic just to to leave the cinema feeling, you know, because it's not, it wasn't just like your average kind of. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Showdown. Yeah. It's just there, there was that like, the kind of coda which just made you dwell in it a bit more. You know? Yeah, uh, it was an interesting wrinkle. Maybe if they had brought it in earlier. I mean, I guess it was always there, but maybe if they had actually worked that into the story earlier, maybe that could have been more interesting. Uh, yeah, I agree. And building upon that later in the film and their fight and everything, but at the very end, it's kind of like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, you, you were just doing what you were bred to do. Um, so you're not so bad. <laughs> well, I really like... The, the big theme about the whole film that I like is the, the notion of choice. And that, like, Superman is balancing the idea of bringing his home planet back that was destroyed and all these people versus humans. And it's, it's kind of the same thing for Zod. Like, not, not that he has as much of a choice, but the, the notion of I'm doing what I'm told where I could choose to do something else, but I'm doing what I'm told. Like, this is an example where that... You, you need to make the right choice, and I like the themes that they present throughout with that notion. But, of but is he is he making that choice, or Who? is he just like no I, Zod? Is he not? No, I'm saying fulfill... Zod is not. I'm saying the Zod is the example oh, of someone see. who makes who doesn't make a choice uh -huh. and should and makes the wrong choice and then suffers for it. But can he? I mean, really, when he's presented with the opportunity that he has to to bring back Krypton, does he ha then have a choice to not? If, since he has the ability to and the tools to do it no of course because his whole thing is that he's like i would like he said i was born to defend right. my planet and return it so so i'm saying i don't think he has a choice no once, i'm i know those I'm not. things and the, and the whole lesson is that what what jor-el tried, tried to teach kal-el is that making the choice is what matters and that he didn't okay. make the choice gotcha well, yeah, but I wouldn't use him because, as an example, because not <laughs> making a bad choice, he didn't have a cho he didn't have a choice. But okay, you're okay, saying Kalel did have a choice. Oh, Kalel right? has choices throughout the film. That's right. Whole thing. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's move. Let's move this baby along a little bit. Um, let's go to the score more. Yeah, we should go. We should, there's so much more, man. There's so many. Let me just list off a few more things I didn't like, just so I can get them out there. Um, I talked about second char secondary characters. Didn't like them because they were flat and no depth. Um, Are you no even Richard Schiff? Say again? Even Richard Schiff? Richard Schiff was... He was a doctor, Emil Hamilton. He was the guy, um, the specialist, basically the scientist who kind of figures out... You'll know him from the West Wing. Oh, yeah, yeah, see, that's awesome. the thing. Like, oh yeah, I forgot he was even in the film. That's how shallow he was. Oh come he was just, on! He's just a scientist. What else is he gonna do? He's, 
I mean, just screen time, some some scenes where there are people just talking about something. You know what I mean? Not so, not so, talking while things are falling down or they're flying in space or but just the only only conversation I can remember is the one from the trailer where it's Lois and Superman for about five minutes in the, whatever that secure area was. And that's it. That's the only time you get people just sitting and talking without some other external things going on. And that's what's missing. It's like, can we develop some relationship here? Those two kissing at the end was ridiculous. They had no time together when they weren't about to die. Well, and, I, and that, I, I tell you, I mean, there, there was one, I think maybe one scene that was a bit silly, yeah, was the scene whenever you got the two military people um, toward the end, you know, whenever he crashes their satellite and all that business and mm-hmm. and the the female, I forget her character's name, but she says uh, he's really hot and all that stuff. I mean, that was just stupid. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's right. fair enough. It's fine injecting some humor, but at least, you know, do it, do it well. But right. that was just silly. It was bad. But I and, wonder, and did, got... do, does every woman out there be like, no, that was a great moment. He is hot. <laughs> probably some maybe probably maybe some. We're just gonna... i think i heard i think <laughs> i heard more some... of that when he had his shirt off then yeah. I, you know i could hear i could hear the women in the audience you know commenting there were a lot of um, good like female jokes like lois lane's like if you stop measuring dicks and get onto it did they say that oh yeah they did say oh, that. Yeah. And, and and guys i i love amy adams i think she's one of the best actresses in hollywood she's so adorable. i mean i yeah. i mean i love her i mean i would marry her if i could but I almost stopped liking her after this movie, and it's not her fault. It's the the writing is atrocious. I mean, some of the things you just brought up, but she can do so much more. She's not just a bumbling. Oops, I fell, and uh, you know, or she's that's not. I expected her to bring a lot more to Lois Lane than she did, because she can. Others like let's say what's the girl's name who played the last Lois Lane in Superman Returns? She probably brought about all she could bring to that character, <laughs> but Amy Adams could do so much more, and th- and that's what gave me a lot of hope for this movie because of the cast. And I I take nothing against the cast. I think Henry Cavill is a great Superman, could be a great Superman if he was given great Superman ter- material to work with. I think he fits the bill. I think he could do the job. Um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne as this two-dimensional nothing. I mean, it's Lawrence Fishburne. The man plays. Um, what did he, he? He's been in Shakespeare. I mean, and he's just doing nothing. Apocalypse yeah, yeah. Now. It's a, a seventeen-year-old in Apocalypse Now. You remember? He, exactly. And so that's. I looked at the cast. I'm like, man, this is going to be spectacular. And their their parts were so flat. Anyway, I've shaky cam too. Hate it. Don't need shaky cam in Superman world. I mean, it's not 2003 anymore. Shaky Cam's over, isn't it? Someone tell me it's over. Um, it's not. That's the same DP, too. Same DP as? I think, like, the porn movies and all the other Shaky Cam. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. The guy's still getting work in Hollywood, man. He's got to get work somewhere. Oh, I, I, oh I, I, I was so angry. I was so angry at the Shaky Cam. And the zooms. I don't know what the term, the technical term for the, that, the, that zoom shot that they do like when uh, they're zooming yeah, in on a yeah. ship or on something i'm like that's that's turn of the century stuff but and like, well, at least there wasn't like um, ridiculous over the top amounts of screen you know glare that was in star trek into darkness i mean that was just uh, i have no problems with screen glare but there was just like every <laughs> single shot it was like so it was almost blinding you know 
In Star Trek yes. or in this one? In Star Trek. No, in Star Trek. Oh, I'm yeah, just, yeah, sorry, yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> and the shaky cam in Star Trek. I mean, that wasn't there in the first Star Trek, but now when, when, when the when Enterprise goes into warp, that camera that doesn't exist has to shake when it zooms into warp. I'm like, why call attention to these things? Anyway, that's not, <laughs> that's not what this podcast episode is about. But, it, but the shaky cam and the zoom stuff, I hated it. I, I hated it because um, I didn't think it was necessary. It just felt like, oh, we need to keep your eyes focusing and jerking around because we have no story to tell you. All right. Any wow. Guys, you ended wow. on a positive note. Any last things you'd like to say about the film before we get to the score? Not as bad as you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. I'm giving you sam- I'm giving you examples of how oh, these things are distracting and do not add to the story that's being told. It seems like, hey, let me shake this rattle over here to keep you distracted um, while the time passes because we don't have anything to tell you right now. Well, so, we're look at seeing this. what my whole theory on this movie is that they that you you as in the audience knows Superman already, and that he and everyone who's making the movie knows that you know Superman. So it's not so much about giving you the pieces of his introduction that we know, but all rather the pieces we don't know in seeing the little caveats that create his character. And that that's what we're seeing. And it's not about Superman. It's not even called Superman. He's called it once in the entire movie. It's about a man of steel or someone becoming Superman by the end. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and the reveal of Superman, I thought that was, you know, and that was a bit of comic, comedy that worked. Whenever, you know, his name yeah. is... So his uh, name is a joke. yeah. I mean, I, I think start, that, that was, yeah. was lighthearted. I mean, that word, that was fun. I mean, I don't think it was it was belittling the whole film. It was just, uh, I mean, the whole yeah. the audience really appreciated that. I mean, you've both seen it with audiences. It, it, obviously, it's the best dynamic to experience a film with an audience. And I mean, what did you both think? I mean, the audience I watched it with, um, they they laughed. Maybe it laughed at times. I didn't think. They should have laughed. I have to admit. I thought whenever whenever Russell Crowe kept appearing in the ship, you know, with uh, Lois Lane at the end with Amy Adams, mm-hmm. um, that I mean that that seemed. I think it was supposed to be slightly comical, but the audience were really laughing almost too hard at some of those scenes. Whenever he kept appearing, you know. <laughs> Did you both no, laugh at that? Or? No, I didn't laugh at this movie at all. Not once. Oh. I don't think I smiled. I laughed at a lot of the fun lines. There's, there's always good. Like Where saying, are they? Well, I, I laughed at the one in the beginning when he's like a, ch- a boy child. <laughs> Was that supposed to be funny? No, but that's the point. Is there's just a lot of like not. There's not a lot, okay? Because now I'm turning into I'm like supporting your side of the argument here. But there's a couple of those lines that are like. It was almost like they're like, well, this is kind of humorous, but also works in the world. Let's put it in there. But uh, no, it's, my. I'll be honest, my audience was not very react. They were reactive when, when he took his shirt off. I heard the women go, ooh. Yeah. Um, there was a couple grunts during the during the eternal fight scene at the end when they're getting bashed with buildings. But at the end, it was silent. Not one clap, nothing. I was Even I was surprised because I thought people were enjoying it. Not nothing. That's- nothing. Did they clap in yours? No, that's what I noticed too, yeah. They didn't clap in yours either. That doesn't uh, happen so much over here. I mean, I, I, that may be more of an American thing, to be honest. Um, okay. Normally, there's if it's good, people clap. No, but I agree I with mean, you. Every time I've seen it, it's like there's just like a nothing response. 
And it's not like it's this big heavy ending. Yeah. You know, it's not like Schindler's List or something where it's great, but you're not going to clap. You know, it. it so that's what surprised me. I'm like, why? I, I thought, okay, well, who knows? When I saw it for the very first time, I almost. And you'll, you'll like this, Chris. I almost, I didn't know whether I should like it or not. Like, I wanted to turn to my friend and be like, you, you liked it too, right? Did you like, like it? And that, I almost wonder if that's how everyone is thinking. Is there, like, whatever their reaction is, they're like, you you hated it like me, right? Or you liked it like me, right? You know, like, you, you, you have this feeling that you're like, I hope the other person sitting next to me had the same feeling as me. <laughs> See, that's not good if you're doubting. If you're doubting that you that you are justified in feeling the way that you're feeling, that's well because that's not but, the way because it is Zack Snyder and it is a lot of style and that after Sucker Punch you have to question that unfortunately. <laughs> that, that film was woeful. Yeah. No one claps at Sucker right, Punch. Exactly. <laughs> and I have to admit, I'm not a big fan of 300, but I do like I do like Watchmen. And and I meant to ask that earlier. What our experience with Zack Snyder was? I like Three Hundred well enough. I, of the films that he's made, I think I like that one the best. Now this is a pretty weak curve we're at here, but I think I like that one the best. I, I'm not a big Snyder fan, but anyway, all right. I think we 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 need to move on to get to the score here because our where we're coming from, I think, on the movie is gonna sway our perception and appreciation of of the score um i will say this though i don't know who i said it to earlier but because of the and I, oh i was talking to you about it alex earlier before we went online i've never seen a response to a film quite like this before i've seen divisive films but i've never seen people arguing the exact opposite points on the same on the same aspect be it the editing be it the uh the action you know, some just loving it. And here's all the reasons why. Some hating it. And here's all their reasons. I've I've not seen that before, and that's odd to me. But it's I've, it's led to this theory of mine, and that is that Warner Brothers is doing the most expansive and expensive A/B test in all of history. I don't think we're seeing the same movies. I think there's two versions of the movie out there, and you're getting these radically different reactions because people are seeing different versions. That's the only thing I can think of because it's so crazy that the the, the the difference of opinion on this. What do you guys think? You, you go first, Alex. Yeah, the only thing I noticed this morning, and I'm I'm curious if you guys saw this, is that the church scene in my movie. Oh my god! The public one. I I have seen it twice as press screenings, and then this morning as a public screening, um, just a regular theater. And I felt like this morning they didn't have the shot of him in front of the like Jesus pane of glass. They didn't. I saw that. Well, right. And maybe, maybe, like, and then I was thinking about it and I was like, maybe I just missed it because I'm like tired of that scene already. I'm always like, let's just get it over with. But um, oh. I was wondering, I was like, oh, have they heard the criticism on this and have they started to remove it or something? And that was my only oh, thought that crossed my mind because I saw your note about that. And I was like, oh, maybe they're trying to, you know, <laughs> deal with some minor criticism. But at the same time, I don't know. It's, I don't. I'm. I'm with you too. We were. Yeah, that, was, that was what I mentioned to you as well. I was like, I don't understand how you can hate the same movie that I love. Yeah. But but that's yeah. what's happening. Is that we're seeing this thing where like everything you're saying, you're just you dislike what you see, and I like what I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's people like you. I respect your opinion. I like your taste in movie. And so many across the yeah. internet. It's like, how are these people liking this? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just strange. I totally. Agree. Tim, what about you? Yeah, I totally agree. It's the same. You know, people. 
I look up to, I'm friends with, and they're they're disliking it, and they're really, you know, with a passion. Uh, yeah. You know, a friend of mine just, he, I asked him, you know, what do you think? What do you think? He went to the premiere, and he just wrote back two words: hated it. <laughs> you know, there was not even not even any conversation, you know. Um, and yeah, it really has divided people uh, so much so that it's, you know, it does. I suppose maybe it's human, and certainly if if you're if you're usually like a caring and interested in other people's opinions type of person, then you, you do generally question it. You think, right, you know, maybe I should yeah. watch it again. Because I definitely I'm a strong believer in watching films more than once because sure. I'm sure you both agree. You pick up other things. Yeah. You may not enjoy it the same way another time. It's, uh, it's so important. And I'm actually, I must see it again. I've only seen it once. I know Alex believes in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, for that exact reason. <laughs> but see, I, it was such an uh, 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 displeasurable, if that's a word, experience. I don't want to do that again. I don't. I, I don't want. I really don't. Uh, when it's free and I can watch it for free, I'll watch it again. But I'm not paying for that. Um, just even if someone said I'll pay, I don't know if I'd want to do that. Ouch! It was not a pleasurable experience. There's no. It's a comic book movie. Give me a little joy, just a little. Make me happy a little bit. But I you think, know, considering what other DC stuff has been out recently, it's miles ahead of, I mean, I have to, well, yeah. do you not think? Miles ahead of Green Lantern? Okay. I mean, you and I could make something better than Green Lantern <laughs> online uh, right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's a couple of other ones too, but I, I think... But what? Uh, what were the other, Better than Dark Knight Rises? I I definitely would take Dark Knight Rises over this. Yeah. Hard no, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Those films were in a League of Their Own... Um, what are the other DC films? What am I missing? Yeah, there's Green Lantern. And what was the other one recently which really bombed? Um, it was like Jonah Hex. Do you remember Alex? There was a Jonah oh, Hex movie. I, but... I didn't even know that was a DC property. <laughs> wow. I don't know if there's been any others other than other than Green Lantern. All right, okay, fair enough. Well, but it's certainly, I, I think it's it gives a, a bit of, uh, a, bit of a, a good reimagining of it all. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. A lot of people are saying, you know, stop reimagining things, stop this, stop that. But is, is it really that? I don't think it's a bad thing. I wouldn't mind less of it. I'd, re I'd really like some original stuff to come out, you know? I mean, because for every big reboot we get, that's one less big something new that we could have had. Well, but... And, and I, should, should that open... Can we open the door to Justice League? Because that's what this movie's doing oh, as well. I know it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> I... Oh, I can't, I mean, I don't know who's going to be direct writing and directing it, but if it's Goyer and Snyder, count me out. Uh, that a, really? a whole bunch of angsty superheroes together. Oh my gosh, I can't think of anything more punishing oh, than having. This, this is is this DC's version of Avengers Assemble? Yes. Is it? Yes. All oh, right. Well, yes. in theory, in theory, that this is that, that, that's what I've been looking for each time I see it is how much are they really trying to set up Justice League? Like people are saying that. Um, you were you were complaining about that girl earlier who uh, was like running between the buildings with from the Daily Planet like with this random girl. So apparently yeah. she's uh, like the new Jimmy Olsen or something like that. And that what? The, How do we know that? It's, it's based on her name, I guess. And the, the like, there's a Carrie Ferris, which is you know a Carol Ferris reference. So there's like I'm wondering if they're trying to put all of these pieces into it. Like you've got Luther and you've got. There's a Wayne thing, and you've got 
Green Lantern in there, and then they're going to all make it, you know, down the line. But I, well, I don't know. I assume that's what they're trying to do. But I don't. I don't want to see. I don't want to see a bunch of superheroes in this universe told this way. If that's how it's going to be told, uh, uh-uh. uh, <laughs> that in the it's just exponentially, you know, multiplying all the things that oh, I can't even fathom it. Because it's just oh, it's just heavy. It's just a big weight of our lives are so awful, and we're superheroes, and <laughs> I have all this money, but I'm. I, I hate my life. I can, I'm indestructible, but I don't know who I am. I mean, is that is that what we're going to be getting times four or five more superheroes? I mean, what, what a worse experience. I can't even think of what that would be. Well, yeah. What do you what do you want out of superheroes instead? That you really want one want, guy who's like I mean, like Iron Man. You know, Tony Stark is the rich billionaire cocky guy who. It's a heck of know, a lot more entertaining. That's, I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, Iron Man is a lot. More it's entertaining. And and that's kind of why I'm going to see a comic book movie is to be entertained, not to try to meet feel sympathy. Oh, poor Superman! He, he doesn't know who he is. I'm, what? You're supposed to be giving me hope, not looking to me, the audience. What do I do? How do I how do I handle this weight that's been put on my shoulders? Is that not then the important character building aspect, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess it could be if it's if it's done right. <laughs> okay, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be my sure footnote to everything. Yes, you're right, if it's done right. Okay, let's go to the music. And the score could be great if it was done right. All right, let's go. Let's let's um, let's talk about Hans Zimmer's score. Um, did you guys listen to the score before you saw the film? No. <laughs> you didn't. No, I try not to. If it's a score I'm really excited for, I will not listen to oh, it. Oh, so you just you, you did your little Vine video and then you never listened to it? No, that was actually before. That was after I. Oh, that was it. after. Yeah. That was after. That's right. I, I forgot. And, and Tim, what about you? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, it was hard to miss them, really. Um, so I, I did resist the temptation. Uh, there was lots of tracks, you know, that yeah. were published by Sony or by Hans himself on, on, you know, his various social networking sites. And then there was that fantastic drum cover tribute, which I thought was terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah, I, I honestly think okay. it uh, it works. It does. Okay. And you saw it, and you liked it before you saw the film. Yeah, I, I did. Okay. I did. I, I liked. I, I, I knew what his approach was going to be just from the, the little snippets here and there. And um, I mean, you can't. I mean, you can't judge a, a score from little snippets here and there. But you, you certainly sure. you can have a, a good idea of what to expect. I think that's right. The, the, the crucial kind of. And it, yeah. and it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's part of the hype and publicity wagon, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it because. Um, if there's more focus brought you know, to film music and and to that that whole area, I think you know the more the better. Yeah. Well, at some point, I mean, I listened to it before. Um, I think at some point I stopped because it was like, hey, here's another track. Hey, here's another track. I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this piecemeal. I mean, I'll hear. I I thought the 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 track in the trailer was really good, and I was like, okay, this sounds like it could be 
pretty amazing if that's where yeah. if, that's, if that's our starting point you know um, but then they just kept releasing one track at a time on SoundCloud. Hey, here's a clip over here. Here's a... I was like, okay, I'm done now. I just want to see, hear it all it, or nothing or nothing more. And so I, I kind of put my own embargo <laughs> on at some point. Um, but and did I hear it before I saw it? Yes, I did actually hear it before I saw it. And I was like, it's okay. I, it wasn't, I wasn't like moved by it other than the main theme, which I think is pretty solid. The rest is kind of like, yeah, that's... It's good, you know, okay. Um, but I wasn't bowled over by it in, in any way, shape, or form, other than the main theme, which I thought was, was fairly, was solid. Um, so what about the, the, the score in the film? How do you guys think it worked within the film? I think, I think that's where Hans works best, is making his scores for the film. And that he, for whatever his sound does, it works better as an enhancer to what we're seeing. Um, like that's where that's where he's really working best, and it's odd because he'll he was telling me he doesn't actually look at footage when he was making anything. Like he'll just hear the story and then come up with it in his mind. And I think how does that work so well? But it does. But I liked it in the movie a lot more. The the, the only first thought I had when I saw it was that he's like he, like we all have the John Williams theme in our mind, and that he was like he like tries to build into it and he starts to lead into it and then it never gets there. And that was the code I kept thinking. Mm. I'm like, oh, get to the moment that I'm waiting for, and you never get to it. There is no moment. Yeah, now. but it, he he builds it in a brooding way that it fits with the movie a lot. Yeah. What What do you <laughs> say, Tim? Yes, I, I mean, I think his approach. You know, a lot of people have have called it simplistic, but this is where you know I would, I would disagree strongly because they're they're looking at it from the wrong perspective. They. You know, if if you if you're going to start using the word simple, then you know what context? Because some of the best songs or melodies or whatever are, are often quite simple. Uh, you know, mm. it's what mm -hmm. it's what it's what you do with them. It's it's part of the package. It's mm. the orchestration, production, the delivery, and I, I think he really nailed it. I mean, the, certainly, I, I've said before about the Fortress of Solitude. That scene works well. And the first flight, you know, the kind of um, false takeoff as such, and some of some mm -hmm. of those moments there with the, you know, the guitars and the, the percussion and and everything, and the the use of vocals I thought was very clever. You know, it's kind of, and obviously, <laughs> you know, you've got that that trademark. You, you could call, almost call it a trademark hand sound. You know, the the kind of piano, the sustained piano, which yeah. reminded me a bit of you know, Days of Thunder. Broken yeah. Arrows, slightly, you know, just that kind of, mm -hmm. which uh, it, was, it was almost uh, a nice full circle experience. You know, it's hmm. come. Oh, that's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you guys that you know that's that's where where Hans's music, his work, can really shine is 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 in context. Um, and then afterwards, you know, it can sound all the better once you have that context and you're listening to it. Um, in this case, for a couple reasons, I didn't have that experience. And normally I do, even for terrible movies like Pirates of the Caribbean 4. It's a horrible movie, but um, I really like that score a lot more after I saw it. Um, or, or, or Inception, which I liked before I saw it. And I loved it while I saw it and then loved it all the more after I saw it when I knew what was happening you know, at those specific moments. But this one is, it, there's a little, 
Well, part of it is the mix. Okay, there's so much going on in that second half, and you know, explosions and crumbling and booshing and punching and you know, and and then you've got a per- very percussive score. At least when it comes to the the villain um, and the Kryptonians, it's very very percussive. And so you kind of that all got mishmashed to me, and um, I was hoping, f- needing a little bit of. Um, I-, I wanted the score to do something that the sound effects. W- weren't already doing you know there's a plenty of uh, percussive sound effects going on and then you have a very percussive score it, they just kind of blend uh, maybe that was the intent but but I was I, at some moments I was looking for for Hans to kind of do something add something not to call attention to himself but to add a, a feeling or a flavor that wasn't already there but it was kind of melding into uh, uh, the sound effects and the sound design that was going on um, and there, and there really was no, for me, a, an emotional apex. I mean, that theme is the emotional apex. And I haven't, I didn't feel any more affinity for it than I did the first time I saw that trailer, which I think that works the best. Just that, that initial trailer and the montage there builds perfectly. And that's the kind of building that didn't happen in the, in, uh, in the film for me in a, from a scene to scene base basis or overall to where by the time you get to the end and you hear that theme and it's and it's given kind of that the fullest performance that you've heard yet um that that kind of thing wasn't done and you know that that's Hans that's Hans he doesn't necessarily do it that way so when I came out of it I was just like yeah it's it, it worked fine well enough within the context of the film but I don't like it any more than I did prior to going in which is it's just rare for me. Usually, especially a Hans score, I usually like more afterwards. Um, did your guys' opinion change at all after watching the film of the score? I maybe didn't like it as much. You know, you know what I want to mention. You're talking about integration, and you, you sort of talked about this with uh, the like sound effects. There's a track, and I I made sure to get the name. Krypton's last is the track, and it's when he first gets to the planet. There's a, a, there's a sound in it that sounds like a cell phone. And the first time I heard it, I actually like looked around and was like, who forgot to turn off their phone? I think I know what you're talking yeah. about. I think I know exactly. Yeah, yes. I, I know what you're talking about. It's really, it's like, and then, it, and then you, you find out, you know, 10 seconds later, you're like, oh, that's just part of the score. And every, like, every yeah. time I hear the track now in the album, I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, oh, sh- oh, it's just the score again. <laughs> But listening, He's experimenting with that eleven point one. He's like, "Hey, let's throw this in." <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It was like coming from behind me. No, was, but um, I, I, listening to it on its own after I, I, this happens a lot with albums, but more so this time is that I, I tend to key in on the on the tracks I really like, and that there's a couple that yeah. I'm like, okay, this was good and it worked great in this scene and this action scene, but I don't I don't want to listen to it as much on its own anymore. Right, right. But what about you, Tim? Uh, Oh, sorry, Alex. I didn't know you were. No, no. Talking. I was just—I was just gonna say. But overall, I still like listening to a lot of the key theme tracks to it. Okay. Yeah. And Tim, I, I would tend to agree. Um, certainly, I, I think some of it improved upon after seeing the film. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> and I'm sure you both agree that whenever experiencing, I mean, there's plenty of scores and soundtracks that stand alone away from the film if the film is either naff or just you know just isn't. Maybe you haven't even seen it. I mean, there's that option too. But you know, we want to relive the film experience when we listen to the soundtrack. That's often the point. Right. Um, right. And I think I think some of the cues improved for me. For me, like "Goodbye, My Son," um, 
I think hearing it again in context, that, that's mm. you know that that cue. Um, I think certainly bringing the sound design aspect into it again, you know the. The, the use of vocals in "Are You Listening, Clark?" was was quite clever, and mm -hmm. um, it's got that sustained piano in there, some drums. But of course, I just love the whole. As I'm sure he said to you as well, Alex. You know, the, the, this whole drum circle he set up for "This Is Madness," yeah. that, that brilliant cue, and uh, always, always perfecting for that sonical experience. You know. Yeah. yeah. Let, let me let me bring let me mention or speak to that point about that that big drum circle um i thought it was a really interesting thing to do i, I love it when composers experiment and try things that haven't been done before and it seems like Hans has been doing more and more of that type of thing and going back to your interview uh alex which is a great interview and uh hans zimmer is you know he's one of the most most transparent um guys out there and he and he tells you you know what he seems very sincere and it feels very real and 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 you brought that out of him um uh in that interview but and you you say some things in there that piqued my interest in his response responses even more you talk about him you say that you know he kind of reinvents himself from score to score um and that was peculiar to me because i i you know he said himself and someone in the chat room mentioned this too that this Superman was supposed to be the polar opposite to Batman in terms of the music. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, you could flow these two things right together pretty easily. And they very feel they very much feel like they're from the same world. He I forget. I've read so many interviews and things with him recently, but he talked about, you know, this score is supposed to be about hope. And yes, the main theme feels like it's building hope. But the rest of that score. No. That hope is not what I think of when I when I, or, or experience when I'm listening to that score. Um, so I, I kind of didn't agree with that he's reinvents himself each time because I think since maybe 2000, I don't know, 10, maybe a little bit further back, he's kind of gotten a sound and he's been sticking with it. You know, people have been saying, hey, I'm, how did they get Inception, the score to work in this film so well, you know? And that's saying, hey, it sounds the same. Um, but my real point was going to be, he said in that interview that he gets bored. He said he gets bored. And I and I wondered if it's not just him, but other composers that, you know, if you just sit there and you write another score, just traditional orchestra, traditionally arranged, all these kinds of things, maybe that's boring for them. And, and they've got to come up with these things now because they can and they can process, process things and do all these crazy things. I, I wonder if that becomes more of the thing than, the, or too much of their goal. Um, uh, what do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, to, <laughs> I asked the question in the sense of I want to get an answer out of him that addresses exactly what you're talking about, which is like how okay. he's how he manages his, his own sound every time. Yeah. Like, does he yeah. reinvent himself? And if so, how? And how does he? Is he aware of his own sound? Which he, he did yeah. talk about quite a bit, but. My notion is that he he does like he's at a point where he doesn't do a lot of work every year. It's like one or two major films every year, and then sometimes it picks up. Like this year, I think he'll have three or four. But he in when he gets into one, he's like, "All right, I'll, this is now my opportunity to mess around and do something." Like, and what I what I got from this interview was that he's such a don't take this word the wrong way, but such a genius in his own mind where he's he hears something and that's what he creates and he may be mm -hmm. stuck in his own sound now where 
from the Nolan universe and from what, like how gritty and how real these movies are, that's what he's coming up with in his mind. Like he'll just hear it and that's what he comes up with. And that he still has the chance to experiment and sort of reinvent himself in other ways. Like um, this wasn't in my interview and I should have recorded it, but at the very end we talked about 12 Years a Slave. And I asked him like point blank, why, why are you doing this? What, you know, what interested you in it? And he explained, and this is what I, I wish I would have got this on camera and put it in the interview, but he was just explaining about how that was sort of another chance to just sort of be different. And he just was like, I just saw it and I just felt some emotion about it and I just needed hmm. to do it. And I think that's what he does is he's, when he just, when, when that, as he was explaining, like he's, he hears the colors, you know, he'll hear, mm-hmm. he'll, someone will explain or someone will tell him something he can already imagine in his mind, whether that's that drum circle or whatever, you know, whatever pieces he's setting up, you can just already start picturing it and putting it together. And that's who Hans is. Like you're going to get a Han sound no matter what. And that's what I don't mean to say. He's completely like, Oh, he sounds completely different every time, but that, that this isn't a repeat of the dark Knight score or that any of the Batman scores, it's different to some degree, but it's still a Han sounding score. That's all I have to say. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. I got you. Uh, that that's good. Uh, Tim, what do you think about that? Well, it's the, about the, the sounding aspect is I mean, every composer has their has their unique identity, and I think what what is being identified is the is use of of horns, and it's often in the same kind of key key range. You know, it's it's the <laughs> and certainly as well. Yeah. Fair enough. There's the ostinato as well, but. He actually was a bit more. I think he he made the strings sound a bit more organic, and I think that was the idea. And he was very conscious of making this score slightly more organic and not um, or acoustic, if you like, and not quite so electronic as maybe he has done in the past. I mean, I I, I can't quite see the, the parallels to Inception really. I think again, it's just you're just really homing in on that style he would write particularly for horns is in in that key range you know mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point i think i think that's maybe at the at the crux of it um yeah one thing that he talked about too is and i heard in your interview alex and then elsewhere about you know how he took these uh, uh pedal steel guitars and yeah. and 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 so processed them that you would never know that they're a pedal steel guitar you know and and he's not the only one doing this, you know. I, I, it seems like more and more composers are taking sounds um, of more traditional instruments and then processing them so much they don't sound anything like what they are. And for one, I kind of like, well, what's the point other than saying, hey, what you're listening to is a, p- a pedal steel guitar? I know it sounds like this warp thing, um, you know, but it's really a. Pe- other than that, I can't. I can't see any reason why this is happening more and more other than I think they're getting bored. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I don't want to just write for, for woodwinds <laughs> and for the brass. And I don't want to just have a normal, I want to just put all this crazy stuff in there because it's, and it's more fun for the composer. And I can see that, but it worries me a little bit. Um, especially when there, there aren't moments, even like in, in dark Knight rises, there are one or two really fantastic music moments. One of them being, when he when when Bruce Wayne climbs out of the the pit, and and the, and that theme plays, and I literally almost stood up out of my chair because it was so rousing because he 
because Nolan did such a good job of building that that tension up and the music right along with it. But there was no moment like that for me in Man of Steel. And those are, you know, scoring to picture kinds of things. You can't just sit down and write a piece and hope that it matches. You've got to score that to picture or do some fancy editing. Um, so that's what concerns me. If he's not watching the film, I mean, obviously he has to be scoring to picture at some point. But it concerns me if it's more important of what's the what's the crazy thing that no one's ever done before thing that I'm going to do this time that I never done before. You know what I mean? I, I, you still got to score the picture and make the things work on screen. Um, what do you guys think about that? Do you notice that kind of thing happening more with composers or or no? It's like, I can't disagree with you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man, you know what? You're right. You're right. That's what I'd have to say. <laughs> Tim? You, you, in relation to experimentation. Yeah. Do you see that happening more and more? Do you think it, they're doing it because they're getting bored with the traditional processes or just because they can? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, they always, I think, especially someone like Hans is always trying to, I think, you know, he's in such a, I mean, he, he actually made an interesting parallel. He said that his studio is like the Fortress of Solitude for him. <laughs> mm, it's a spaceship. Which, uh, <laughs> a very opulent spaceship. Oh. <laughs> yeah. but he, um, and so it's it's quite, you know, I mean, as you know, I mean, composing, composing can be quite a lonely existence. So sure. you, you often, you surround yourself with the best possible people and then you uh, that naturally would lead on to surrounding yourself with uh, often some some great ideas, and uh, I mean, he'd be, he'd be the first person to say that Dark Knight Rises bores him senseless because everybody wants a Dark Knight Rises score. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, and that's true. I mean, and he and he's probably going to have to do a lot of Man of Steely stuff now, I guess, um, as a result of this film. Because uh, I think I'm, the, what I'm seeing is most people seem t to like the score quite a bit. There, it seems to be the same kind of division, though. I mean, I don't know if anyone's hating it, like some hate the film, but uh, it seems like there's a lot of praise for Some people are the, really the hating it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some passion. Oh, I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> really? These are, these are friends of mine, too. Like, I mean, some people, um, if you go to Movie Wave, um, it's oh, James okay. Southall. And, yeah, uh, John Broxton. Um, they're both very anti um, Man of Steel. Aren't they kind of? Aren't they kind of? Aren't, don't they have a bias against Zimmer Sound as a whole? Well, yeah, I suppose maybe John Broxton would. Uh, James James Southall. I mean, he, he doesn't dislike Zimmer because we've talked about this, uh, over, you know, a couple of times. You know, he does. He has a lot of uh, admiration for many of his works, but uh, he just hmm. okay. He, he really he can't seem to grab. Hans's work over the past few years. Um, he mm, just even seems, Dark Knight stuff. No, he just can't seem to find anything positive in it. Which uh, okay. I don't know. I mean, he, he just he's quite disillusioned by it all. But I I, I I can't I can't agree with his his opinion. Um, yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, let's kind of wrap it up with this. I, I found a, an interesting article on the USA Today. Uh, another interview with Hans Zimmer. Um, and I want to just read an excerpt for this and uh, get you guys' reaction. Uh, I'll post the link for those of you listening in the show notes so you can read the, the interview yourself. Uh, but the conclusion of it reads like this. Uh, he remembers working in 2000 
uh, on the 2000 film Gladiator, and Steven Spielberg told him that ever since he went to see Spartacus when he was 14, Alex North's score was how he'd always heard Rome. uh, Here I was doing, and this is Hans here I was doing something completely different, and I said to him, but Steven, I'm 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 exactly doing what you want me to do, which is get 14-year-olds now to love Rome. This is their movie. This is not your movie, recalls Zimmer, whose music will also be heard in the upcoming The Lone Ranger. I was thinking about that so much then as I think about it now. I want this to be this generation's Superman movie. At the end of the day, to use a line of Gladiator, were you entertained? So Alex and Tim, I ask you, from the Man of Steel, were you entertained? Yes, I was. I was very much entertained. Yeah. Tim? Yeah, totally. You, you, you were totally, totally entertained. entertained. And you know, it's interesting you, men- you mentioned The Lone Ranger there. Here's, here's a prediction because um, I reckon, uh, I'm not sure, I mean, I, I can't, I mean, it hasn't certainly been printed anywhere, but I reckon that uh, we could be in for a, a reimagining of that, you know, that classic Lone Ranger theme, you know, the Rossini, the gap. Because you know, that's, that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of thing Hans loves to do, isn't it? So don't be surprised if we, if we hear some kind of little clever quiche on Rossini, and, that, and that's what mm. I'm looking forward to. If it, he also likes to go the polar opposite <laughs> to what's come before. <laughs> well, that's true, but uh, so, I, I think he uh, just that would be interesting. Just, I just have a. I don't know. I think I have an inkling that he might uh, I, that, surprised for this. That would be interesting. My my prediction still stands from what I said early in the year, and that it's going to be very Rango esque. Um, and given that it was that he's done what three or four in a row with no breaks, I think he's tired. And I, and I and I think I think he probably invested more in Superman because it just warranted it in the weight of it all and the history of it all. I kind of I was looking at Lone Ranger as being like that. Oh yeah, I'll get that done. Don't worry, you know. And, and so I'm kind of expecting Rango reinterpreted or reimagined myself. Um, but we'll see. I'll be happy for, for I'll be happily surprised if it's not that because I'm not a big Rango fan. Um, gonna, all right. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say in response to that quote, um, I really I do recognize that. Zimmer is sort of the new sound for a lot of the younger generation. Like, if you think of people yes. who've watched from Batman Begins on, and that yes. that's their DC world, no longer the Burton Elfman Batman, but now the, yes. the Nolan Zimmer Batman, that, that it's almost like Zimmer represents the sound of the DC world mm-hmm. at the moment. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'll be very curious agree. to hear if he's hired for Justice League. You know how much does he get attached to those kind of projects as they go on? Um, but but I, oh, I, I, I do think he does represent like that, like he's saying in that quote that, that this generation is going to grow up with his sound, good or bad. It's not the John Williams iconic, you know, theme, mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. whatever it is that that represents it, he's he's done his job to create something that is unique to his own style. At least. Why not just get his his crew? You know, get <laughs> Ramin Javadi on one of these films. Get um, um, Junkie XL on another. Uh, you know, cool. and then he's got. Then they've got the whole thing covered. And then boom, he comes in for Justice League. Ties has works with all those guys anyway. Ties all the. That's one thing that they could do better. 
than the Avengers did, which was actually pulling thematic material from all the other films. That, that was a big miss on, uh, be, from my standpoint. That is a brilliant here's idea. Your opportunity, yeah. Here's your opportunity to do at least that, even if the film is, you know, angstville, at least you could, you could bring all of these thematic lines together and really just, oh, man, the score yeah. could be fantastic. That's awesome. Um, I like that idea but, a lot. <laughs> I hope Warner Brothers or someone is listening that takes that. <laughs> I think well, that, it would be awesome. Yeah. There might be some publishing issues, but yeah, you never know. Probably, probably <laughs> there. Are, there is always some reason not to, but man, it would be fantastic. Um, all right, well, hey, we've gone an hour and a half, and this has been a great discussion. I appreciate your guys' time and the and those in the chat room. Any final thoughts on Man of Steel before we end this baby? <laughs> I think we've said it all. <laughs> yeah. Even though I, even though I left a lot not said, but I think I've said enough <laughs> um uh, tim burden how can people find and follow you on on the internet uh well they can go to timburden.com um or they can follow me on twitter uh, tim j burden and if you subscribe to film score monthly online as a, a shameless plug mm-hmm. you'll uh, you'll hear an interview with hans um from tomorrow I think the issue goes live tomorrow for June and uh, yeah he, he goes he goes into um, some interesting detail about his his thoughts there is a little, that little clip if you want to hear it by the way uh, yeah why don't let's slide that in how long is it's it two minutes it's two minutes okay let's let's okay is this the just set up again this is your interview with Hans Zimmer this is he's just he's chatting about his essentially his first foray into Man of Steel and how he his thought process worked in the in the first instance and he reveals how Christopher Nolan had a big part to play which I suppose most of us knew but he speaks uh, okay. Okay. quite interesting yeah. yeah let's let's hear but curiously Chris being such a gentleman actually stayed stayed away and really wanted it to be the collaboration between Zach and me. It was so much so that I would phone him and complain about him not coming down just out as, as my friend. You know, I was sort of missing my friend more than, you know, I, I didn't really need another director. But, you know, the, the, the whole thing, of course, is, that, you know, that early on Chris and I would talk about But actually, Chris was more involved in getting me to do it because I was going, I can't do this. I cannot follow in John Williams' footsteps. I'm not, you know, it's it's a daunting task because, let's face it, what he did is perfect. And so it took, the, the, you know, the, the, there was a little wrangling going on, you know, sort of a reluctant ride. And so, you know, but but I trust him so much and I trust his instinct so much. and I, And I knew that his idea was different and it was solid and it was something that I would actually enjoy doing and then once I sat down with Zach you know it just we instantly had a rapport it's it's always interesting because when you're when you're sort of basically shoved together into these very heightened situations because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it you know there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of time constraints that's you know you run out of everything all the time other than ideas and you just want to try one more idea and the great thing about Zach is that he's very similar to me in that respect. You know, he, he will always come and, you know, roll up his sleeves and just have just one more idea of how we can go and make it better or make it more entertaining. There we go. Are you not, are you not entertained, as, as you said earlier? 
<laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> the point he and then the, the point go no, ahead. The point go he ahead. makes that that I find so interesting is that he says that the original score is perfect, and uh, and I yeah. think about that, and I'm like, we we all have to accept that and realize that nothing can ever top that score. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And then it's, it's can, yeah, yeah, and it's it's so iconic that it's so in, at least for the people that are alive at this point in time that it, 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 it can't be topped. So at least Hans is doing his own thing. <laughs> That's all I'll say to end it. I know, but would you guys not have loved to have been a fly on the wall at uh, Anvil Recording Studios just outside London whenever Richard Donner ran into the recording session and said, oh, my, you know, genius, genius, you actually spelled out the name Superman. Yeah. That's, that's what he yeah. did apparently he, he went he, right. ru he ruined the session with John Williams and the, and the London Symphony Orchestra he ran in so enthusiastic oh but it but it's true isn't it because the actual music does spell out the name so yeah it, Alex is so right I mean uh, yeah totally and, and Hans is right I mean you can't and I think it's really uh, I think it's very certainly um, open and honest of him to, to, to cite that yeah absolutely but you know but well, I don't know. I mean, he, Hans is being Hans in this score. He's It's certainly not going to be mistaken for anyone else. But And maybe he was perfect for that because no one's going to mistake his music for John Williams. It's very, very different sty stylistically. But does it, mean you can't, does it mean you can't have a trumpet in there? Or, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like, I'm not going to even use the same instruments as this man because the score was so perfect. I'm not going to even write it down on paper, you know, because he wrote his on paper. You know what I mean? I mean, there's respect and then there's, then there's, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel that way about it too, but it's like, you can still try. I mean, John, who do you think had the harder position? Hans Zimmer or John Ottman for Superman Returns? Probably Ottman. I reckon John Ottman, yeah, because John. Yeah, I do too. Was, yeah, I mean, he was using so many of William, but then John Ottman's take was so different because remember at the time he said, "I, I would be so silly if I didn't use his music." He would have been, uh, but, well, I, I mean, but the stuff that he brought, kind of that melancholy theme, that really reflective theme, that's not Williams-esque at all, and that's one of my favorite bits of the score. Yeah. Um, it's really beautiful, and that's really kind of the signature for me for that from that score. So I wonder. I mean, yeah, he would have definitely have been by at least bringing the Superman theme in. He doesn't have to deal with that question of well, it's not as good as that theme, or I really miss that theme. That's there, um, but it would still maybe be interesting to see what someone might do in the same genre. You know. Um, yeah, they it might get just torn to pieces by people, but I'd like to. I mean, another for the cartoons and all those other other things that you have Superman on right now. There's comp they use completely different music for them, and no one tears them down there. Like the whole DC animated series that they have, you know, the Superman's all over the place without that theme. So I think it's possible, mm. um, but maybe a feature film is just like there's just no way, but. Well, I, th I think I think you know you, you, you both know the the state of play regarding many production people. They they don't like uh, you know sadly a lot of people in the music departments don't like trumpets or they don't like uh, oboes playing vibrato and it all has to be very kind of dumbed down to an extent. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that Man of Steel is dumbed down. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I think 
it's okay if you want to say it. That's why. <laughs> I think that's why we're not hearing um, as many, you know, trumpets or as many symphonic orchestras as you know as maybe we used to, you know. But uh, certainly, there's yeah. certainly room for it, and uh, there's plenty of room for it. Yeah, there is. There is plenty. Um, well, thanks for playing that clip. And Alex, you have you have your interview uh, up on your site. Yeah. As well at firstshowing.net, um, which is it, it's really a, another excellent interview. Hans is always it's hard to not like the man. You might not like some might not like his music, but it's hard not to like at least the man that we see in interviews like that. <laughs> it's um, so true. But, it's so true. Because, and, and he hates all that kind of uh, sycophantic stuff. He, he doesn't like being told, you know, because you know yeah. he's I'm so great. I'm so great. He hates all that. Like he'll say. No, I'm not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd rather have him be that way than just like, oh yeah, I know. Thank you. I am pretty much this generation's John Williams. Thank you. Yes, I dominate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Alex, where where else can people find and follow? Uh, you? Just on uh, Twitter at First Showing and on FirstShowing.net. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, thanks to everyone in the chat room as well. Uh, just one last reminder, if you like this episode or you have something to say, which everyone has something to say about Man of Steel, you can send us an email at soundcast at tracksounds.com. You can use our SpeakPipe send voicemail option, which is now on every just about every page of the site um, and on our blog. You can t- tweet at us at TrackSounds or Facebook or on Google+. We're there as well. Um, we appreciate uh, you guys participating in the chat room. Special thanks and happy Father's Day to my dad, Iceman, in the chat room today. And to all the fathers well, nice. out there today, we want to say happy Happy Father's Day to you. So that's going to do it until we are together again. We want to say may the notes be with you. <laughs>